The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more with The Plant Profits, powered by Protus Global. Hello, everyone. I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits and Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global. And I'm real excited about my guest today. Um, my guest, uh, Annie Davis, is the VP of Marketing for Flow Cannabis. And I'm real excited that she's here. Uh, she has an amazing background uh, in brands and building brands. And we're gonna get into that today. Uh, really um, got some classical training and consumer products at a company like Clorox, which is a, a, a top-notch talent-based company, um, and uh, among others. And, uh, you know, uh, Annie, good morning. I'm glad you're here. Looking forward to talking. I love talking branding and marketing in cannabis. I love that conversation. Well, good morning, Vern. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Oh, absolutely. Now, you grew up in Mass, in I, Massachusetts? I did, yes. I grew up in Newton, Massachusetts. It's a suburb right outside of Boston. Yeah, I know it. I know it well. I'm in Chestnut Hill all the time. I, I have, um, I have a, a, a child, a son who, who goes to Boston College. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. down the street from where I grew up. Yeah. Um, my back, backyard, yeah, I definitely... Growing up in that area of the of the country, never expected to like one day be driving down the highway there and see billboards, you know, left and right for cannabis delivery. So it's a trip to to go back and visit. Oh yeah, days. yeah, I'm sure you didn't think that was going to happen, but it's it's real and it's yeah. real and and it's real. It's a beautiful thing and it's happening in many places and um, that's good for everyone. Um, from uh, the cannabis and wellness perspective and uh, economics. And it's, it's just a good industry uh, to be uh, rising up in. So tell, tell me a little bit about, I just wanna, I wanna learn a little bit about growing up at Newton Mass and, and how did you get to Yale and you didn't go to Harvard right away, you went later, <laughs> you know? So how did that, how did that happen? What, what was driving you? Yeah, so, um... Grew up, grew up um, in in the eighties in Massachusetts. Um, yeah. I am I'm I am of Jewish. I'm Jewish descent. Um, I recently learned from Twenty Three and Me, a hundred percent Ashkenazi Jew. Okay, hundred percent of anything these days, but I I am. You're, um, yeah, and, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever met someone that's hundred percent of anything. I know. <laughs> I've now broken the broken the chain for my children because I married a non-Jew, so it's all out the window. But um, I bring that up because, um, you know, I, I grew up in a culture that was, um, I was not particularly religious, but was very um, big on, um, you know, kind of studying and education, the value of education. Um, and so uh, I, I think I just kind of grew up, grew up in, in, in a culture that um, there was, I think not, not just an expectation, but there was yeah. a possibility that one could go to a school like Yale or one could go to a school like Harvard, which I now recognize um, that my world is broader is how is, is very rare. 
um, because that seems very un unattainable and unachievable um, in a lot of communities. So right. I now know how fortunate I was to grow up in that type of a community and that type of a culture. Um, but um, I, I went to Yale for undergrad and I, um, I studied political science. And yeah, were you, were you thinking about being an attorney? Was that um, something you were thinking about? I was, I was I, it was on my radar. My father was, is an attorney. Well, he was an attorney. He just retired after okay. like years, but um, he was an attorney. But no, I was really interested actually in social movements and grassroots organizing, in community organizing. Um, okay. And how, how did you get that? I kind of That streak. Yeah. yeah. How did that streak come to you? So that's cultural as well. Um, okay read within um kind of uh, within judaism is the concept of tzedakah of giving back to your communities and so you know i was raised with um a degree of privilege i mean we weren't wealthy we were like middle class and, and mm -hmm. my parents you know, had gone to college but you know there my mom's dad was an immigrant um from poland so it wasn't like okay. they came from money but they had seen the power of education in their own lives and felt and they had um achieved you know growing levels of success and felt a responsibility to give back to society and give back to, to, to communities so you know every year growing up as a kid when it came to the end of the year like um hanukkah and christmas time we would mm -hmm. sit down as a family and we would think about um nonprofit organizations and causes that we could support and oh, terrific. the family around, um, you know, making donations to organizations. And, and both my parents were really active in the local community as volunteers. So um, I think that was kind of where it came from was this, this, this feeling that I had a degree of privilege that was able to go to a school like Yale. Um, but Yale is situated in New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah. And New Haven it is a city that, um, you know, at one time in the 1800s was, you know, booming and bustling. It was like a hub of manufacturing. There were shoe factories there and munitions factories there right. um, and is a perfect kind of um, poster child for um, what happened when, you know, highways were built and um, there was white flight from, mm -hmm. from, from cities. There was the flight of money out of cities to suburbs. Um, there was the flight of jobs to other areas besides these cities. And so New Haven is a very depressed um, environment in many ways. Like Yale is like the leading employer in the city. Right. Um, right. So while I was in college, there was like this dichotomy of being in this, like literally this ivory tower um, uh, where, you know, you're, there are certainly like trust fund kids and people who yeah. have money and privilege, but you're like, the people who are, you know, working at the cash register at the, you know, the local store or the dining room. Struggling. Yeah. So um, yeah. I, that, that really didn't sit well with me. Um, uh -huh. We had to kind of realize um, my privilege. And so um, I started to study political science um, because I was, seek I anticipated wanting to go into a profession where I could somehow be involved in um, creating, you know, economic opportunity, um, or somehow fixing some of these problems of inequity that I was seeing um, in this urban environment in New Haven that I had seen, you know, in Boston and um, of particular interest to me because I also had a passion as, from a young age for environmental issues um, and environmental protection was um, the, you know, the, the harsh reality that people who lack resources often are those who get exposed to, you know, poor air quality, have, have access to like less clean water, their public right. is impacted, not, not just their economic situation, but also their health. So, um, well, that, that had to be very, I mean, so you actually, you grew up, you were actually volunteering, not just donating 
yeah uh, to these as you as you were growing up your your parents raised you to be be activist yes to be uh, exactly yeah. to, to be an act exactly to be an activist so yeah. um, and I you know and it was this this feeling that you know it's so cliche but that you know that I'm going to with this with this life of mine in some way shape or form be able to change the world change the world um and you know at least right in some way right some of these wrongs that I see or somehow you know impact impact the world around me so um yeah. for me been a common thread through my career that started from a very young age and um right out of college went into grassroots nonprofit work um yeah you did and 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 that the the, um, the environment has always been part of what you've been doing, yep. right? I mean, you're you've latched on to that as your thing. Yeah, uh, and it, and it, like it wasn't a thing when I started working in <laughs> that's it. That's true. It wasn't. Yeah, field of sustainability. It didn't exist. Uh -huh. Function within companies. Um, I was working on public health issues. You know, back in you know the early two thousands. Um, and it was when I was in business school at Harvard was yeah. around, that was around 2005 to 2007 was the time when, um, the kind of sustainability became, began to become somewhat of a buzzword, um, within like the corporate world Yeah. and the, the, the whole concept that like a company was, you know, had an obligation or responsibility beyond simply its, its shareholders, but to stakeholders, um, whether those be employees, community members, the environment as a stakeholder, mm -hmm. um, that was just kind of becoming um, even a topic like in business schools. Um, yeah. so it wasn't a class, you know, on corporate citizen, there was a class on corporate citizenship that now is, you know, much broader around ESG, but it started with just thinking about like, what is the responsibility of a company? And, and, and does a company have a responsibility, you know, to um, to to its community and, and to the to people beyond those who invest in it? Yeah, that's that's really cool. Now, so I, the education at Yale and Harvard had to be, you know, somewhat different because you know politically they're different. Mm -hmm. The the schools are. Did you find that that as education also? Um. Oh yes. I mean, a hundred percent. Yeah. Me. Even though I kind of grown up in the, in somewhat of a culture where you know yes of course I knew other people who kind of went to these schools when yeah. I got for instance to Harvard Business School you know I was the only person in like my section of 100 people um, who had worked in grassroots nonprofits um, I was I I had just ha I had a somewhat somewhat of a different background um, but I was very very pleasantly surprised by you know the degree to which you know my classmates really took an interest in you know what my you know past career um, trajectory had been um but also the fact that you know we were all just 20 something kids going to business school and so kind of like leveled the playing field um and for me that was really a choice like i i i wanted to and tried to get into harvard business school for many reasons but one of them was because i felt like um that was a network through which i could make connections that would help me to have the greatest impact in the world um, oh that's that that is terrific um, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get back into how you chose marketing to be your calling. And um, I think that'll be uh, quite interesting. I am Vern Davis. I am your host of Plant Profits and Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global. And my guest today is Annie Davis, VP of Marketing for Flow Cannabis. Thank you. We'll be right back. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. 
It's time to hemp present. I am going to titillate your audio orifices with weekly radio rendezvous with some of the premier movers, shakers, and history makers of the cannabis community. Radio resident hempo sapien Vivian McPeak. I will be putting out a call to action on the issues of the day and putting your interests under the big lights as I provide cannabis commentary and weekly interviews that go straight for the nugular. Marijuana! Hemp presents only on Cannabis Radio. Hey, welcome back. I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits, and Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global. My guest today is Annie Davis. Annie is the VP of Marketing for Flow Cannabis, and we spent some time just really kind of understanding um, Annie's uh, journey. But now I, I really want to go into you chose brand marketing. How does this connect with your personal mission? Yeah. Um, so, uh, in my, you know, kind of marketing 101 class in business school, you know, like first day you kind of, um, kind of got drilled into our, drilled into our heads. I think I, I would say that, you know, that marketing really like begins and ends with the consumer it begins and ends with the customer. Yeah. Um, that marketing is not about, marketing and sales are not about like convincing someone to buy something that they don't already want. It's about really deeply understanding consumer and customer needs, their unmet needs, and how um, your solution, your product, your service can, can better meet those needs. Um, and, and coming from this, this um, thread within my life of seeking to have impact, um, I kind of began to make this connection that if I could learn how to um, communicate with consumers. Uh, about some of these social and environmental issues in a way that they might actually demand or ask for more sustainably developed or socially responsible products and services, yeah. that could be something that could move the needle. So rather than like forcing companies to be more sustainable or trying to like regulate them into more sustainable or socially responsible behavior, that that demand really in the most efficient system would come from consumers, would come from customers. Companies Absolutely. Respond, yeah. The demand is there. If that demand is not there and there's not that willingness to pay and that potential of profit, the only real other option is to regulate them into that behavior, to force them into that behavior. So um, I kind of began to see marketing as a tool um, for eventually getting products and services developed by corporations in a more sustainable and more responsible way. Um, so that's how I got interested in marketing was really like, I got to learn how to, I really, if I can really learn how to like crack this code and crack this, crack this, um, you know, way of yeah. impacting and connecting with consumers and customers, that can be a tool to achieve the type of like corporate impact that I think is yeah. possible. World. Well, you know, that that says something to that you had a strong belief and have a strong belief that there's millions of people feel just like you do. And that marketing is a way of communicating the opportunity to actually demand products with the mission mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that matched, right? So you you really believe that people feel like you and you felt that uh and that, that and, that, and I believe, go ahead oh what i'm gonna say and also you know i believe that that's really you know what what brands are brands are yeah. promise brands are a story brands are an emotional connection certainly you know there were times when brands represent quality um yeah 
and I think that, that that is true in this day and age, I think a lot of that quality they represent is, um, is somewhat um, arbitrary because you can private label oftentimes the same degree of quality, but the consumer doesn't believe that, won't necessarily believe that it, it, it has the same cachet as, you know, the branded product. So I also think that like, so within, within developing brands, that's where you really have the potential to craft the story that builds that connection with the consumer that makes them want to choose that, that product or service. Oh, absolutely. I love it. I love it. So what, so then you also, um, this led to you being an entrepreneur. Now was entrepreneurialism something that you always had that, that was your, was your parent, were your parents entrepreneurs or, or, or is that just something, because you, you went out and right away you started this HBS Harvard Business School Green, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think a less, I think it's less entrepreneurialism and more impatience to be honest. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that is something that has been, is a, is a com is a personality trait and something that I learned from my parents. Yeah. Um, I think it's the impatience um, for me was like working in a large, you know, um, Fortune 500 company, like the, like the Clorox company yeah. um things you know while they're um, efficient in many ways also move very very slowly yeah. and um for me things moved a little too slowly um and so i i think part partially like my my draw to startups and to um to entrepreneurship and to working kind of in emerging um industries and markets was kind of drawn by 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 impatience um because like i saw possibility i saw potential i didn't see some of these larger organizations kind of like moving to capture that opportunity or address that opportunity or those problems as quickly as they otherwise would so for instance you know in in 2007 um the um kind of renewable energy industry was an emerging industry. Again, this like field of sustainability was emerging, but um, it, there was, um, you know, there weren't really any clear kind of paths, like what a career could look like, you know, right. in industries or in this space. And so um, I, I co-founded with a classmate of mine, the H HBS um, Green Business Alumni Association mm -hmm. is a way to unite alumni that were interested in these areas who are working in this industry at the time so we could collaborate on you know, business opportunities, et cetera. Um, but also um, was really attracted myself to, to the renewable energy industry for this reason. Um, so um, I went and worked for a solar panel manufacturer and later yeah. um, a biofuels company which interestingly now that same company is leveraging its technology to synthetically engineer um, rare minor cannabinoids. So oh. they're in the cannabis space. Yeah. But I was attracted to these emerging technologies and the startup culture, I think, because I was in, I was to some degree impatient to see change. Um, and so I wanted to go to companies that I thought were on the forefront of that. Um, and maybe could get to um, innovate, innovation more quickly. Um, you know, the whole concept of the innovator's dilemma and how like smaller companies oftentimes are able to leapfrog larger companies because they are able to see opportunity and move more quickly. Yeah, no, that's, that, that is great. So, you know, I've just been wondering as you've been talking, so I, where did cannabis come into your life? How, how did it cannabis approach you? Great question. Yeah. Um, so it came into my life like many people, um, kind of in high school and college, um, you know, as a recreational um, okay. drug. Um, and I was, you know, kind of just marginally interested, knew people who consumed. Um, I, I 
was a little bit of a kind of goody two shoes in high school. Part of why I think I, you know, was able to navigate the college admissions process to get to. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I, I very lit, I dabbled, but I was not a not a major consumer. Yeah. Um, it, but after, but um, I after college, I lived with um, a few friends that I had gone to school with. Sure. Um, and they were like daily consumers. Um, and so um, I started to consume um, more frequently at that time. And I had struggled with um, pretty severe insomnia okay. in high school, um, actually from like the age of 12. Um, had nights when I wouldn't be able to fall asleep until like 2, 3 a.m. Ah. You know, you're in high school and you're not, you don't take any, any you know, over-the-counter, you know, prescription, whatever. I didn't have any, any help. Um, so it was pretty debilitating um, in a lot of ways. And when I was... And I um, had gotten eventually prescribed um, when I turned 18, some prescription sleep medications okay. um, throughout college um, to help me sleep. But I would always wake up the next day really groggy um, yeah. and I would try not to take them more than two days in a row. So I wouldn't get you know addicted to them. Um, and I noticed um, in these years after college in my early twenties that the evenings that I would consume cannabis, I would just get tired and fall asleep and I wouldn't need to take those prescription sleep aids. So I started consuming cannabis in the evenings and I stopped taking the prescription sleep, sleep aids um, and it had a massive you know, positive impact on my mental health and my physical health because I could sleep and I could function and I could do these jobs. Well, that, that is, that, that's awesome. And that's a great story. Yes. You know, I, I tell you what, I, I do all of these conversations you can imagine and everyone has a story and it ends up being connected to some wellness. Mm -hmm. scenario right yep. i mean and um that's that's that's, that's great i mean that's how i consume cannabis is at night yeah to go to sleep and i wake up awesome i was thinking it was definitely not something i ever was public about it was something yeah. that was wrong but it helped me and so mm -hmm. i was and i was nervous like my parents it was my 20s and i was like nervous my parents would find out i mean until like five years ago i was nervous my parents would find out and i'm yeah now over 40. So <laughs> the stigma is very real. Um, and then I will say that um, for me also, I, it has, um, it really helped me postpartum. So with both my children, okay. um, I'm a mom, I've got a three-year-old and a six-year-old and yeah. during both my pregnancies, I stopped consuming because I wasn't convinced that I wouldn't be harming the fetus. That right. Absolutely. Um, but postpartum with both my children, um, I, um, experience pretty like you know strong you know you know hormonal swings and right. anxiety and I noticed that and I when I be began to consume again after the, ch the children were born um, I was able to sleep I had much lower anxiety I was able to be a better mom um, and so th all these things for me um, made me feel really passionately about destigmatization about normalizing this plant and leveraging my marketing experience to to do that. Um, and hopefully make this plant more accessible to um, women, especially especially to moms um, of young children, because I believe it's, it can be extremely helpful mm -hmm. times in our lives um, and really just, you know, uh, flip the script on what this plant could do for the world. Oh, that's great. And we're going to get into the plant and talk about flow cannabis uh, uh, here shortly. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits. My guest today is... Annie Davis, we have the same last name. Annie Davis is the VP of Marketing at Flow Cannabis, and we'll be right back. Thank you. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. 
Celebrate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take anywhere treat. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits and Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus uh, Global. My guest today is Annie Davis, uh, VP of Marketing for Flow Cannabis. And um, Annie just got through really, um, really taking us through a very cool and real story about how cannabis has helped her cope with many things. And um, I think that is so awesome. And it's a very familiar story. And, um, and, and so you started working in cannabis. And one of the places you, you, you ended up was, was, you know, in Canada's Canna Craft, which most everyone knows something about Canna Craft and heard of Canna Craft. And you were VP marketing and sales there. And now you're VP um, marketing uh, at Flow Cannabis. And that experience, how's that experience helped you do what you're doing as, as running marketing and building consumer messages with brands and building brands at Flow Cannabis? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I came into the Cancraft organization um, right right before the start of the pandemic, so beginning of 2020, um, okay. and I had been working as um, as a consultant and a contractor um, with multiple cannabis brands, um, and came into Cancraft actually for a specific project um, that was around um, developing a real focused um, marketing and sales strategy for the Care by Design brand, which mm -hmm. is California's pioneering wellness brand. Um, but a strategy to educate and then market and deliver care by design to seniors living in retirement communities and, and nursing homes um, throughout, throughout California. Um, as you can imagine, when the pandemic first broke out, um, retirement communities and nursing homes were wow. like some of the very first spots to be hit and, yeah. um, and uh, inaccessible um, to anyone who did not already live there. So very quickly, the project pivoted um, to really over to overseeing marketing, marketing and sales for um, the entire brand of Care by Design. Um, and it had not um, kind of been refreshed um, or kind of its positioning examined in several years since the brand had launched. And in that time, Papa and Barkley had launched in California and grown very successfully. Other wellness brands has had emerged and so Care by Design was kind of like resting on its laurels and in need of a little bit of um, oomph in its right and, and repositioning. So um, for me, that was really great experience. Um, it was the first time, you know, I was like full time inside a cannabis company. Cannacraft is a house of brands, but also um, has cultivation, has distribution. And so, you know, I learned a ton from being inside that organization um, about how um, one of, you know, kind of an early and, you know, formidable player in California cannabis um, was stru structuring um, its operations, its organization and going to market, especially with regard to trade marketing and dispensary relationships, because that's something that Cannacraft 
um, has really been successful with, um, in part because they were, you know, a real, an early mover um, and their founders had really strong relationships throughout California. Yeah. So but, you took yeah. that knowledge to Flow Cannabis. So tell us about what you guys, because, you know, what's cool about Flow Cannabis and this, and I anticipate this, you're saying this is part of branding. It is the king of like sun-grown cannabis. I mean, that's your thing, right? Sun-grown cannabis. So t talk to us about that and how that is, how you're creating a brand, because I think branding is, is a gap in cannabis, right? It's a gap when you understand consumer products and consumer marketing and branding uh, and creating value. Branding is very difficult. It's coming. It's coming, I'm sure. It's just, it takes some time to get there. So talk to us about sun-grown cannabis and, yeah. and what Flow Cannabis is all about. Exactly. So um, our, um, so Flow Cannabis Co., mm -hmm. um, is the parent company to Flocana. Flocana is our flagship brand, and that's a brand that most people are most familiar with. The Flocana brand um, re uh, represents a network of independent cannabis farmers um, from the Emerald Triangle region of California. And the um, vision for, for Flocana has always been to, you know, to help to give scale to these yeah cannabis producers who, you know, they cultivate, like their cultivation is like a garden in their backyard. Um, but some of the, you know, highest quality, some of the best, best product, you know, you can find anywhere um, in the country. Um, but these people are farmers. They're not marketers. They're not salespeople. They don't know per se, like how to navigate the legal, you know, the legal market. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, our founders, they're, they're, entire um, strategy with, with the company was to build shared infrastructure. And that could be physical infrastructure. That could be like marketing and branding, organ marketing and branding, packaging, distribution that would enable these farmers to do what they do best, which is to grow really good weed. And then Flow Cannabis Co. and the Flow Cannabis brand would be mm -hmm. everything else in this supply chain with the exception of retail. So we don't own any storefront retail. Um, so that was how the company started. And then over the last couple of years has expanded to become a house of brands with other brands besides the Flocana brand under our umbrella in concentrates, in, in vapes and other product um, categories, all sourced from sun-grown cannabis. Yeah. Um, sun-grown cannabis um, in, in our kind of our definition of the word is full sun. So it's not greenhouse. It is right. you know, grown in the ground, in the terroir of Northern mm -hmm. California or wherever it is grown, um, the sun-grown cannabis has kind of gotten a bad rap over the years, or at least has um, been priced in, a, um, you know, priced in an inferior way to indoor. Um, there's a, a perception, um, there's a perception with sun-grown cannabis that um, the quality is inferior to indoor. Um, and that perception was um, really driven over, you know, some decades of prohibition um, when um, farmers who were growing outside had to hide their crops mm -hmm. under the shade of shade trees. So this prop, so the cannabis wouldn't get full sun. Um, and now that cannabis can be out in the open in California, can grow under full sun, is able to get the full spectrum of the sun's rays that full spectrum of the sun results in the uh, very robust minor cannabinoid development in the plant and robust terpene content mm -hmm. in the plant um, to actually yield um, the, a fuller spectrum experience in consumption oftentimes than much of indoor, but the market doesn't price it as such. The market mm. prices sun-grown um, below indoor, which makes it very, very, very challenging for these farmers to generate any kind of you know, profit to keep their operations going. 
So our, what we are trying to do at Flow Cannabis Co. in everything that we're doing is to elevate the brand, not of Flocana per se, and not of mm-hmm. Flow Cannabis Co., but the brand of SunGrown. That if we can help to build the brand value of what it means to be SunGrown Cannabis and educate consumers that SunGrown Cannabis can be just as good, if not better in many ways um, for their health in terms of what you're putting in your body, but also in terms of like their consumption experience. You know, oftentimes um, with sun-grown cannabis, um, it's a longer lasting high. It can sometimes be like a less heady, heavy high. Mm-hmm. There's different kinds of things that consumers can do when they're uh, after consuming sun-grown cannabis. Um, for instance, you know, be, you know, gardening or going on a run or mm-hmm. uh a dance party as opposed to being couch locked. Um, but this nuanced approach to kind of like how that the fact that like how the cannabis is grown actually then impacts what you feel as a consumer, that is a that is kind of very underdeveloped kind of messaging um, within the industry right now. So how are you addressing that? Because I think what you just said is so important because I, you know, I wasn't clear about it. And um, and I, I read a lot about cannabis. So what are you doing to to make that part of strengthening the brand? Yeah, and I'd say most people don't. And you know, when you think about like, who would tell that story? If the people who are growing, if the people who grow sun-grown cannabis are resource constrained, do not have any kind of marketing background and the company and the companies that do have resources and marketing shops are growing indoor and greenhouse, they're not gonna tell that That, story. Of course not. So the story gets lost. And that's kind of, for me, coming to this company, that yeah. was the impact that I saw that I personally could have. Okay. This skill set of mine to help tell these stories is missing. And I can and it's not just the story of the farmer and like let's save these communities from going, you know, out of business. It's like, what does the consumer care about? The consumer cares about their consumption because they're they're buying this weed because they want to feel a certain way. Exactly. Show them that this is going to help them feel the way. So some of the things that we've done um to that end um uh, with the launch of um our farmer's reserve line, which is like our top shelf, um, kind of from the farmer's private stash. Um, uh, That's cool. Yeah, I like that. Behind me on this shelf. Okay. Um, last spring when we launched this, we um, launched it with a, a viral vid- a video that went viral, um, our sun-grown challenge. And we invited 30 um, media um, and influencers to come to do a blind taste test of um, the top selling, one of the top selling indoor strains in the LA market versus this farmer's reserve. Okay. Um, folded them and then we recorded them as we walked them through consuming these products um, and asked them questions about what they were feeling, what they were tasting, what they were experiencing. And this um, activation was in service of trying to, um, you know, cause consumers to question their dominant perception that indoor is better than outdoor um, by hearing some of these experts ex- um, by hearing and seeing some of these experts experiencing the sun-grown cannabis um, and um, two-thirds of them preferred the sun-grown cannabis, but really it was like their comments about what they were consuming and what they were experiencing. Um, so that's like one example um, of what we've been doing in terms of consumer education. Um, that's terrific. Um, also during the pandemic, 
Um, we run a number of um, virtual cannabis tastings and meet your farmer um, virtual activations where we've invited consumers and, and buyers and bud tenders um, to um, virtual sessions with farmers from the Fulcana network um, where we walk them through um, tastings um, of the cannabis to help them to um, learn how to identify the terpenes that you can yeah. take cannabis that oftentimes, you know, are much more um, uh, present in sun-grown than they are in indoor. So kind of um, these activations have been in service um, of speaking to the, the taste profile and the effect profile of sun-grown cannabis. Oh, it's great. Is it too early to tell if that's working or not? Um, well, I will say that in terms of, um, I guess, product launches at our company, um, the far, our former Farmers Reserve has been our most successful launch to date. And okay. um, we have been able to sustain pricing on this line, which is pretty impressive given the oversaturation of the California cannabis market. So yeah. um, the market in California is, um, you know, uh, quite oversaturated with flour these days. Um, and um, a lot of brands have had to just kind of like take price price cuts and right. product. And we've been able to hold pricing on this farmer's reserve line. I, in large part, you know, I, I would argue that that is entirely brand. Um, yeah. What's in the jar um, is a commodity. So um, it is slightly higher quality. I would say it's, it is higher quality um, than, than most other you know, uh, cannabis out there, but the consumer doesn't know that until they go home and try it. No, you're right. Now, how do you, well, I, I, I would think based at your core, you, what you're really trying to do, you're trying to get this word out about sun-grown, you know, um, open air growing of cannabis, which is the authentic way, right, mm -hmm. of, of doing this. And 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 uh, and what you really need to do is you need to see other folks be successful at it like you. Yeah, you know, and I think you really need your competitors to be successful. Exactly, and so um, one of the things that I've been working on um, over the last couple of months is um, reaching out to other yeah. um, marketing leads and CEOs, leaders of can other companies that. Um, source from sun, source sun-grown cannabis mm -hmm. um, or our sun-grown cannabis flower companies themselves because, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, that's right. In California and only in Cal and, and only in California because that's where you can grow this product under full sun. Um, and you know when you look at what the proliferation of MSOs and how much they have invested and are investing in indoor cultivation, there yes. um, even when federal legalization happens and when, when interstate commerce opens up, there's going to be these entrenched consumer preferences for this type of cannabis that's been accessible and available in these states that we haven't been able to access with that's right. cannabis legally. Yeah. And we don't build the brand today of sun-grown cannabis and we don't build cache now for the value of this, then even when we are able to export this pro these products outside of California, there won't be consumer demand for this type of cannabis. So it is incumbent upon producers in California today, especially those who you know can't license their brand outside to other states, like we're a flower brand. We can't like the entire brand is about the region of California and the place. So I can't like have the Flocana brand license to like Massachusetts. 
Um, but I want to build brand value in Massachusetts today. So we'll be able to export there in the future. So um, there's, a, I think, a huge opportunity for collaboration among sun-grown cannabis um, players um, in California and elsewhere in the country um, who have an interest in um, ensuring that there is a market for this type of flower. Um, you know, not just now, but in the future. Oh, no, I think that's critical because uh, the the strength, the power, the money's on the, in the other place. Exactly. And, right, so you, you guys have to have a loud voice and you have to basically um, be, have a talk track, right? Yeah. Talking about the same things and, and the similar characteristics and that that draw you and then uh, at the same time have the ability to separate your product from the exactly. competitor. and just like yeah. why i mean you know and, and having grown up in new england yes. you know, I, know, I know many many people who would pay twice as much for like cannabis that was handcrafted in the hills of mendocino yeah. versus grown in the warehouse down by the airport but we have to make it to that point you, where you we do. can and so these companies have to survive in California first. Um, and that is, um, you know, that's the game today. Um, and so to that end, you know, Flow Cannabis Co. in addition to our consumer brands, we are co-packing for other partners. We're distributing for other partners. We're leveraging our infrastructure um, to be able to support the sun-grown movement um, and, and fellow sun-grown brands. So, um, you know, I think, you know, you could eventually see probably envision, you know, roll-ups of some of these companies. I mean, it would be amazing someday to see like, you know, a SPAC that was a roll-up of sun-grown cannabis brands. Or I think that's what you got to have. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an idea that you should be talking about a lot. Yeah, I, I, I love that. But here's what I know. It's an uphill battle. I think it's clear. But you've been a fighter your whole life, um, Annie, and I know you'll eventually win. Uh, it's been great having you here uh, on our show and giving you an opportunity to talk about your journey and what is happening with Flow Canna and, and, and just really... Uh, what you laid on us here at the end um, is a real opportunity for consumers to make a decision what's the best cannabis for them. Yeah. And and I think that's that's a that's a hell of a mission that's worth fighting for. So congratulations. Thank you for joining us uh, here on Plant Profits. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on Plant Profits. I'm your host, Vern Davis uh, of Plant Profits. And uh, Plant Profits is brought to you uh, by Protus uh, global. Uh, look, you can, and please do, uh, find this podcast, Plant Profits, at wherever you actually get your podcast. You can start by going to CannabisRadio.com. You can subscribe there, or you can go to wherever, Apple, Spotify, Heart Radio, wherever you get it, we are there. And this will be a great episode for you to start with if you haven't done this. Follow Protus Global through all of our social media platforms and networks, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, and really get a sense about what we do and how we are building companies and how what we do, we're changing people's lives. And that's protusglobal.com, P-R-O-T-I-S, global.com. Until next time, cheers.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.